Oh my stars, I am so thrilled you're here. My name is Kai Graham and welcome to another episode in my podcast, The Parent and Teen Toolbox, which is designed to equip parents and teenagers with the tools for navigating adolescence. I've been in the trenches of parenting and now I'm on a mission to help parents support their teenagers so that together we can build a mentally healthier and happier generation of young people. Each week you will receive learnings and takeaways that will help you tackle the challenges and the oh shit moments that are often associated with parenting tweens and teens. I have your back and I'm glad you're here. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so thrilled to um, introduce to you today, Jackie Jones. It's a pleasure to speak to her. And I am so looking forward to hearing what she has to share about not only the fact, which I think is always a, a welcome relief to hear that as parents, we are not wholly responsible for our little angels. And we'll dig on that a little bit later. But also, Jack is going to lead us through the ages and the stages of childhood. We're going to be concentrating, obviously, on the parent years. But I think many parents feel that they might sometimes, like having been a teenager themselves, they think they've got it sus. But actually, I think we are missing a trick if we don't quite understand the teenage years properly. So, Jack is going to enlighten us all. So without further ado, Jackie, welcome to the show. I'm so thrilled you're here. and Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's my um, pleasure. Yeah, I love the ages and stages. It's something that I learned quite early on in my training and I refer to it on a daily basis. And I think I think the thing is, that's the thing, isn't it? It's the fact that we feel as parents, we have we've got over the toddler taming and we've worked out how to do the potty training and we've worked out how to do this. I mean, one mum said to me recently, she said, she said, I've got three kids and I and I should know what I'm doing by now. And actually, when they come to the teenage years, it's a very different ball game, isn't it? I think as parents, we're just winging it a lot of the time anyway. And that's all right. Of course it is. I think one of the, my big things that I learned, my eldest is 33 and he taught me a lot about how not to parent, I would say. <laughs> then I've got a 31-year-old daughter who recently produced me a wonderful grandson who teaches me you? something new every day. He's two and a half now. And then I've got a 16-year-old. So there's a big gap between my eldest and my youngest. And I'm still on a learning journey as being a parent. Well, so, that's uh, that's it. So tell us, let us into the story of your journey then and also why you ended up doing what you're doing. Okay, so I'm a psychotherapist and coach based in Lancashire in the UK. I started working with families and children when my daughter turned four. She started school on the Monday and on Tuesday I enrolled at college to be a BTEC nursery nurse. So I did my BTEC nurse nurse training and then the college, for some strange reason, which I will never understand, asked me to start working for them out in the community. So I used to work with parents of preschool children, preparing them for school. It was kind of when Ofsted first started and they noticed that children in reception were finding it difficult to sit still in class. So I used to go out to the community and work with parents with little packs on you know threading and cutting and sticking and all those wonderful things that we do as parents um then I threw all that in and went to live in Wales and had a small holding for a couple of years not sure what that was about 
I think it was a midlife crisis. <laughs> it's a departure from the norm. <laughs> yes, I learned how to artificially inseminate pigs, of all things, so that was good. <laughs> um, yeah, it's strange. We won't go down that road. But then came back. Then I endeavoured on a 13-year fostering career, which was mainly fostering quite difficult teenage boys. So, again, that was a steep learning curve. And that got me into wanting to be a psychotherapist. Okay. So, yeah, it's been a varied, a varied career, but working with children and families has weaved in and out throughout my adult life. Yeah. And, and so you say that you refer to the, and I, I think it's a great phrase, the ages and stages, you know, and you refer to that, refer to that yourself on a daily basis. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. So how, how enlighten us, because uh, parents, if they sort of find um, a little hook or something that sort of, you know, gives them hope, and yeah. gives them a little sort of procedure or a reason that that things aren't going quite well. That's a huge, it's a big reassurance for many of us. So it is, yeah. And I think that's why I use it on a daily basis because what's normal? Yeah. <laughs> it's a program on a washing machine. I, I don't think there is such a thing as a normal child. You know, we are all a result of our upbringing and our life experience and everything. And we kind of pass that on to a certain extent to our children so our children are unique we we all make our own decisions but this is from a book from Pam Levin it was based probably in the late 60s 70s ish so it's quite an old book but I just love the structure so basically it's a psychological development of children Um, so it's not the milestones that they reach which I think as parents we're all quite used to you know, they sit up at a certain age and they should be walking yeah. and smiling and all that sort of stuff. So this is more the psychological development. And often parents come to me with issues that they think are big. Yeah. <laughs> and if I can talk them through this and let them know that actually that's a normal stage of development that is going through. Telling lies, for example. Children yeah. start yeah. to separate fantasy from reality when they get to a certain age. So it's quite normal that children test the boundaries around that. Comparing and contrasting, that's a normal part of childhood development. You know, when they're kind of in reception class and they've got to have the same shoes as the best friend so that they feel like they're the same. Yeah. There's a lot of things that we do as human beings that are perfectly normal, that when we observe as a parent, we can worry about it. So... The very fact that you are referring to this book by Pam that was written in the 60s and 70s, it's implying then that really, even though we're in a totally different environment, things sort of developmentally haven't really changed. Is that fair? Maybe these stages have gone a bit younger, but oh, other okay. than that, no. We're human beings. We function in the same way as what we did as cavemen. Unfortunately, the 21st century doesn't fit in with that very well. Yeah. But underlying all of that, you know, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the basic needs for survival and then the need to belong and security and all those sort of things, it's basic stuff that's been around for a long time. So I think sometimes we overthink things. I think that's the problem, isn't it? Is the fact that our kids are developing and any slight, I mean, I'm from the key generation. I mean, my yeah. mother and father hadn't a bloody clue what I was up to, you know, for the majority of the day. And and probably 
that was, you know, you look back on it and whether or not you say that's parenting through neglect, air quotes, or whether or not it was just sort of giving us a freer reign. But I think now we are all micromanaging things so much that yeah. kids sort of don't even have the space to breathe, do they? I talk a lot again with parents about middle of the road parenting. To me, overindulgence causes as much damage as neglect does. They're kind of the opposite ends of the spectrum, one at either end. And we need to go for middle of the road stuff. <laughs> Children that are overindulged, that aren't allowed to spread the wings, you know, they're cocooned and sheltered from everything. Release that child into society at 18 oh. and it hasn't got a clue. You know, and the other end of the extreme is the neglectful parenting where the children are made to be adults and care for themselves at a much younger age. So I always go for middle of the road. Which is a massive departure from the norm now, isn't it? Because at the minute, um, or not at the minute, but nowadays we are striving for A grades. We are striving perfection. We are striving to sort of, you know, have transparency and clarity. And so we all know exactly what the hell's going on. And actually middle of the road is implying, do you know what? You're allowed to be, dare I say it, average yes <laughs> and, and and I guess it's what giving parents permission just to take their foot off the pedal 100% and I think even you know if, if I'm not sure whether you want to go through the ages and stages I, I would like to just refer to it yeah 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 a lot of that depends on where we are as parents you know often parents come to me with an issue with their child but I will support the parents as well because I'll go through the stages quickly and then we yes, can do, 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 yeah. back. So the first stage is the not to six months, which is the being stage, which is stage one, which is when, you know, we as parents provide everything for that child, you know, yeah. all the needs are met and everything. But that's the first stage of learning to trust that we will get our needs met. As a foster carer, I've met babies that, cry a lot I've also met babies that never cry so even from day one as human beings we are making decisions about how we are going to be in the world and that's quite shocking when you think about it that, yeah yeah you know I, we're not born a baby that cries or born a baby that doesn't we make a decision right from the get-go and it's impact it's impacted so early on yeah yeah the other thing is that as an adult we recycle these so that being stage, we can reproduce that first day on a job. When we're making a big change in life, when something shifts for us and we don't know how to be in that environment, we go back to that being stage. So it's not just our children that are doing this. We do it too. So that's, that's the interesting bit. <laughs> that's not unlike then a child starting secondary school then and then no. Right, back to, right, okay. 100%, 100%. So that's the being stage. The next one is six to 18 months, where again, we're starting to trust the other person. But we learn to be creative and we learn to get support for our needs. So if you imagine a child that's at mother and toddler, you know, they, they toddle off and they have a bit of a play, but they keep looking back just to check that you're still there. They might come back and get a bit of reassurance and then go off again. So they're starting to separate out from us as parents. Again, that's quite normal. Yeah, Some yeah. children might start to worry a little bit at that age. Okay. <laughs> you know, if mum isn't consistent, if and it, 
it might be something and nothing. If they see mum sat in the corner and then mum decides to go to the loo and they yeah. come back and mum's not there, suddenly it's like, oh my God, the world is going to end because my mum's not there. Yeah, got you. Um, the next one is 18 to three months where they're starting to problem solve. I'm not sure if you've ever watched a child trying to get in a cupboard. They'll keep doing the same thing over and over and then suddenly realise, oh, I need to twist and not pull. Yes. So they're starting to put little schemes together. Um, but again, all these stages, we go through ourselves. This is, yeah, do you know, I, this is totally, I knew that the development, the words of developmental stages, but I hadn't related to the fact that in various stages in our life, we go straight back to that. The other thing, which is worth mentioning, and I talk about this a lot, my, my youngest is 16, is that dependent on the age of the child that we are looking after, we get triggered back to that in ourselves as well. So often me and my 16-year-old son are like two teenagers having a slanging match in the kitchen. <laughs> so there's a whole heap load of stuff going on in the background when we're parenting. So that's why I always say, go for the middle of the road, give yourself a break. We're processing things just as much as our children. And, and this is the thing, is the fact that, because I, I am permanently saying, yeah, give yourself a break. I'm permanent, you know, I sort of say that the whole time. And the fact that we are um, making concessions or we're, we're sort of giving excuses for our kids' behaviour because they're going through that stage and because I remember what it was like as a teenager and all that sort of stuff. But what I failed to realise that, and, and it, actually now you say it is as clear as blimmin' daylight, is, <laughs> is that... We are sort of mirroring that behavior ourselves in our yep. reactions, in the uh, and in our sulkiness and our neediness and our, our, our desperate to get conversations going from our kids who actually don't want to speak to, to us. And therefore, we're behaving like the teenager as well, aren't we? Yeah. So yeah. why won't you speak to me? And it's like, come on, guys. Yeah. Oh, my word. But along with that as well, we also start to remember and recollect certain things that happened in our past when we were the same age as our children. So if you have been through a trauma, you know, you just need to be mindful and give yourself a bit of a break that it might bring up certain things for you when you reach it. You know, if as a teenager, you your mum and dad got divorced or something, if your parents in a teenager, that might bring that up into the fore for you a little bit you might feel a little bit insecure or you know a bit abandoned and all those you know if your teenager goes out you might feel abandoned and, <laughs> what's that about <laughs> you're quite right and especially if, if many of us are from the generation where we haven't actually dealt with a lot of our issues historically yeah. as well yeah well so again you know I always say it starts with us and self-care and compassion for us as parents when we're struggling is massively important we give out we empty our battery so many times with our children but we need to refill our own battery in order to be a good enough parent I I and I totally got that but I hadn't joined these dots which is it, it's well this is blimmin' brilliant for me for to, you know to work that one out so thank you but it, it is it's just it's understanding that we may or may not be reliving a lot of what we've gone through historically. Yeah, hundred yeah, yeah. percent. And that's actually all right. So yeah. hence, hence, thank goodness, the middle of the roadness where yes. we don't have to excel at blimmin parenting as well as everything else. No, no. The other thing I, I always say to parents is you've got to parent in a way that feels right for you. 
you know, I can remember, particularly with my eldest, my mums of another generation, you know, where the children are seen and not heard, you totally. sort your own, excuse my friend, shit out yeah. behind closed doors and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I, I wanted to parent my children completely different than my upbringing because it wasn't the best. I hear you. But the criticism and the pressure that I felt from my mum and from people outside. Yes. I crumbled sometimes. I can remember once my mum, you know, my son was a handful. He would have been diagnosed with ADHD if they'd have had it 33 years ago. But luckily he wasn't. But he was he was a handful. And he was upstairs banging around and doing something. And my mum was like, "What are you, are you not going to stop him? What is he doing up there? You need to go up and sort him out. And she was just giving me this yeah. all the time. Yeah. So I ran upstairs and flung the door open and, you know, verbally assaulted my son. Not because I wanted to, but because I felt pressure from my mum to do something. I, and I, it was at that point when I felt so guilty. Yeah. I decided I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to parent the way that feels comfortable for me. And it's breaking that mould that's quite tricky, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. I I remember something sort of similar where my mum was visiting and I can't even remember what the situation was. I can remember the comment was and it was, you're very involved, aren't you? And I just... <laughs> and and I, why not? <laughs> I took that as a criticism. And yeah. I, I sort of thought, am I am I helicoptering? Am I taking over? Am I sort of, you know, suffocating this child? No, actually, I was wanting to know how my child was feeling. Yeah. Um, but it took me a while to realise that that's all right. And actually, we're from a different generation. And I just, and and as you, a bit like you, having that re- sort of revelation, and it's sort of suddenly, I want to do things differently. Yeah. I'm not sure how I want to do it, but I don't yeah. want to do it the old way. Yeah, exactly. You know, praise, praise is a massive thing for me with my children, yeah. even now my 33-year-old, you know, and praise for for being as well as praise for doing. It's not all about achievement. You know, yeah. you as a per I love you as a person. I love everything about you. Yeah. And yeah. that's important. My mum didn't get that. She, you know, he's not going to get cheered for the rest of his life. He's, nobody's going to be stood outside the toilet going, yes, you've just had a wee. It's like, well, no, obviously not. He's 33. But <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but I've never known anybody that died from being praised or validated. I, and I think that's the thing, because in, in our parents' generation, it was, well, you're, you're being soft on them and you're mollycoddling them. Expected. I, you should just do it. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I think, thankfully, nowadays, we are all cherished a bit more. Maybe that's... Yes. yes and, and celebrated. But I, as I, an adult, I get paid a certain amount of money for doing a job but I like recognition I like yes. to be acknowledged for the work that I do and have a pat on the head yes so there's exactly. nothing wrong in spreading that around I, and I think that's the thing isn't it is that um I mean I look at myself and I am and it's probably triggered from just this sort of conversation you know that the, but I, I am not very good at sort of um acknowledging my own achievements and rely on external validation yeah. and if I get the external validation I realize oh okay I've done a good job well yeah. did you not know that in the first place Kai well I needed to hear it from someone else yeah. And maybe that's just because we never got that as a child. Exactly. You know, I'm trained in transactional analysis. That's what my background is as a psychotherapist. And, you know, we all have a life script. And the shocking thing is that our life script is formed by the age of four. 
Oh, crap. I thought it was seven. It's four. Well, well, it is, but we modify it and test it out. It's fixed at seven, but we've literally got the the outline of our life script at four. So you imagine we're living our life now by decisions that we made when we were four. That's that's how it's what working. What the blimmin' heck do we do about that? Exactly. Knowing that that's what we do is one thing, but that internal chitter-chatter voice that tells us we're not good enough you know, you can't do that. What that that comes from our little people. You know, that comes from little Jackie. It's not from grown up Jackie. And that's why I, I and this is going slightly woo, but it, it's it's that's why for us grown ups, inner child work is always sort of um, quite hundred percent, hundred percent. And we can reparent ourselves a lot of because I I work with parents and children, but I do psychotherapy as well. And a lot of what I do is reparenting. You know, it's it's. One, the awareness that we build up, but then understanding I have a choice. I made that choice at four and I can make a redecision now as an adult at 54. I don't need to carry on living my life by that script that I made up. So, wow. Sorry, that's a bit deep, isn't it? No, 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 it's <laughs> wonderful. But, you know, so we're talking about, which actually takes us straight back, which a, a nice, neat segue, which takes us back to stage four of your ages and stages because. Yes. So it's because we've just done the 18 months to three years. So what's the next stage then? If we're the talking next about stage is three to six, which is stage four, which is the identity stage. So it's when we're moving into reception class. Um, you, and that's where we're starting to assert our own identity. We've now kind of got to grips with who we're going to be. We're starting to separate fantasy from reality. We're starting to learn about consequences to our own actions. So we've we've separated out a bit more from our parents now. Yeah. So when we join school, there's a structure to the day. There's a routine. You know, we get the consequence of having to sit on the carpet if we don't do what we're told. And you will notice changes in how people respond and react to that. You might get, you know, the little kid that breaks the heart and is heartbroken when they're corrected on something or they've not got something right and you get the other one that will not sit down no matter what they're running around the classroom you know you can't catch me type of thing so so what's all that about well it's they're they're stating their own identity they're they're testing out the boundaries they're deciding who I'm going to be am I going to be somebody that tows the line or am I going to be somebody that's pushing the boundaries the test as as early on as that so that's yeah that's where your little rule breakers sort of come from. And it's where your kids that don't meet the curfew come from. And, and yeah, the te- with the testing, the testing, you know, what, what are consequences? How far can I push? What happens when I push? And, the, the, you know, we are really intelligent as children. We will know that one rule sits in one place and one rule sits in another. So you might get the child that is a little angel in school and the horns grow as soon as they come home because they understand that there's different boundaries and structure. And they're savvy enough to work that out. Oh, right? yeah, from a rate really young age. <laughs> Your expression says it. We've got, this is why there's no such thing as a perfect parent. We're all just doing the best and that, that we can. that's the thing. So, so we've got three to six-year-old. I mean, this is, this is sort of great... For anyone that's just starting out on this journey of parenting, don't do it. It's like, oh my God, we're all doomed and we're going to hell in a handcart. But (laughs) keep us going because I'm sure you're going to be able to say, right, okay, for those of us who are parents of teenagers, this is what you can do. So, stage five, what's that? 
Right. So stage five, we're kind of doubling up in ages now. So this is six to 12. Okay. So this is the latter end of, of primary school and moving up into high school. So the, the learning from the past experiences, the, the kind of fixing things, the testing their abilities against others. Um, so, you know, the, the learning to make mistakes and making mistakes is okay. If you go to the three to six, making a mistake is horrendous at that age. You know, it's, it's really bad. You get those little girls that if the picture's no good, they'll scribble over it and put it in the bin and have a tantrum. So yeah. we're, we're kind of one step on from that, the understanding we can learn from mistakes. It's not a big deal. Okay. Um, and to test ideas beyond our family. You might find between the ages of 6 and 12, this is where peer pressure can come in. You know, yeah. what their friends think and say is more important than mum and dad as a 12-year-old maybe. And, and that's why when kids are beginning to, I mean, I know you said identity was the previous stage, but this is why where kid, kids are beginning to sort of form their tribes, they're sort of attaching to other sort of role models. And it's it's why invariably we, we sort of hear ourselves saying, turn that bloody music down while you listen to that rubbish. It's, yeah. it's our kids sort of exerting... Um, I suppose that tribal instinct, but also, you know, sort of pushing on from that identity is finding out who they are and what they stand for. Is that fair? Yeah, 100%. And this is what we call the skillfulness and structure stage. So the the, the pulling on the skills that they've already learned and getting the structure together. So if this is between six and 12, when you were saying, you know, you thought our life script was at seven, it's in this early stage where they're starting to cement everything. Okay. As a foster carer, the need to belong is an innate human need that we have. We don't just like doing it. We need to belong. And if you're from a family that is quite disruptive or chaotic or traumatic, we will gravitate towards something or someone where we feel a connection yeah. and a sense of belonging. Yeah. You, you know, you might, that's where, when I grew up, I, I was a mod, you know, in secondary school. That's what I wanted to be. Or you might be a mosher or you might go to church or be part of a brass band, whatever it is. But we we have an innate need to belong to something. And is it is it fair to say belong to something that is outside the home or does that not is that not the case? Is that could that be just sort of not always the case? I think, you know, and I don't want to get too heavy on this, but when children are vulnerable, that's when they kind of make you know, a decision to be part of something where they're putting themselves at risk. If they're not getting their needs met at home and in a safe, secure environment, those children might look outside of the family for it. Okay. There's nothing wrong with going to Cubs and Brownies. I don't always misunderstand what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. But as a foster carer, I've seen children that didn't have that sense of belonging, so went outside to find it. Okay, that's what, yes, just looking for that, yes, somewhere to, to be accepted and something yeah. to attach yeah. to. Okay. 100%. Okay. So, and the most exciting part is the 12 to 18 year old. Ta da! Ta da! We finally got here. <laughs> and that is where we recycle all 12 years that we've already been through twice as fast. Yeah. So, you have a tantrum as a two-year-old and can be a very grown-up mature person as a teenager in this split second <laughs> in the drop of a hat so they are experiencing all these feelings all these stages over and over again throughout that next six-year period 
And that's what us as parents, even though we did it ourselves, find it really hard to sort of um, adjust to is the yeah. fact that one minute you're literally looking after your little baby and then suddenly, bam, something comes out from a, as a curveball. It was, where the hell did that come from? And it's that normal. explains it. <laughs> yeah. And this is one of the things why I love this structure, because what our children are displaying often is normal behavior for a teenager that they're doing exactly what they need to be doing and as a foster carer again that gave me a lot of hope because if a child went through a trauma at a certain age because they recycle it as a teenager that's where we can go in and help them go through that I had my youngest when we were fostering and we had an eight nine year old boy in at that time and he did finger painting and sat with me to listen to a bedtime story and did all those things that he didn't have the opportunity to do when he was younger. So it was kind of we can fill in the blocks that are missing in that teenage period. I love working with teenagers. Yeah. They're so quick to grasp concepts. They are absolutely. So so the, the thing is, is that are you saying we are able to sort of rewrite that script then? Yeah, 100%. We all, we, as I can rewrite my own script, but we can also support our children in, you know, redeciding things, looking at things from a different point of view. And so, how do we do that as parents? By lots of validation. It's, it, it, there's a lot of, it's okay to feel the way that you're feeling. It, you know, it's okay for you to be responsible to get your own needs met. And I think that's the thing, isn't it, is that if we don't understand these phases, we see, you know, this recycling everything twice as fast. We see that as warning signs that, oh, my goodness, my child's going to turn into an absolute sort of reprobate or they're going to be a dysfunctioning adult. And I've got to fix them and I've got to make sure they don't do it. So I guess we bring in discipline and we bring in punishments to try and knock it out of them, whereas, in fact, we should be validating nurturing supporting and helping them what to get there on their under their own steam with support yeah and the whole thing with parenting and putting structure and boundaries in place is that our children have something to hit up against they will challenge that's part of being a kid and part of being a teenager but we need that fence in place for them to hit up against it I'm not sure if you've ever watched kids in a playground you know, if, if there's a big open field, the majority of the children will be huddled in the middle playing together. You put a fence up and they go right up to that fence and climb on it and everything. We need boundaries. We need to know where the line in the sand is drawn. But a teenager's job is to push that constantly. Oh, that's, br- that's brilliant. What's safe? What's secure? What What happens if I go over that fence? What's the consequence to that? So you know, push- and in that, am I prepared to take that consequence or am I going to stay on the right side of the fence from here on in? It's all exploration. And so how do we guide them to stay on the right side of the fence or shouldn't we be doing that? Well, we can guide them. We can pass on the knowledge that we've learned. But ultimately, it's those, we can't force anybody else to do anything we're responsible for our own behaviour and to a certain extent, our children are. Obviously, the younger they are, we can manipulate them a little bit more. But once they're at that teenage phase, they're finding their own feet. 
Yeah, and this is—I mean, this is what 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 I often say is that we've gone through the management stages of of parenting, and now we need to mentor. And I guess it's being that role model that our kids need, and it's being that constant so that that they can sort of navigate these waters, sort of with us by by their side. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I say to parents a lot of the time is, it's not personal. When our kids are coming at us with aggression or anger or strops or whatever it is, they're not out to get us. It's not personal. They're just processing their own stuff. And it I feels think personal. It does. And and I but I think that, that us taking it personally is obviously something triggering from our previous yeah. years that we haven't sort of worked out ourselves. And if as an adult, which I do have, I'm quite open, you know, I talk a lot to people about my upbringing and where I am. I have a really strong people pleaser personality type. So when my kids don't like me, I don't like it. Yeah. So when we've got to put those boundaries in place and be quite firm and rigid, I feel crap. But I need to understand that I'm doing it for the best of intentions. Uh, yeah and it's sort of it's that coming sort of from parenting from love and compassion isn't it and 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 there's the fact that one hopes there is no malice um behind the decisions that we make definitely but there again there can be us responding in a stroppy teenage manner because because we're human too (laughs) and and our own triggers and our own traumas and sort of stuff like that and again, you know, you touched on this earlier on, I think one of the big things that I talk in all relationships is that I am only 50% responsible for the communication that's going on in that connection. So uh, I am not yeah. responsible 100% for my children, if that makes sense. Which is quite hard to, um, it, it's, it's quite hard to, Except, I think, especially when they're little, yeah. in that, you know, if you are, I was speaking to someone the other day, you know, who's got a sort of three-year-old who's lying sort of in, well, pre-lockdown, in the middle of brute boots screeching their heads off because they can, and we're sort of sitting there trying our damnedest with stress levels, you know, up to high down, yeah. trying to sort our child out. And actually, yeah. it, it's, I guess, and that's the thing, it's, it's 50% we are 50% of that relationship. But I think, as you say, it's how we respond to it that can actually influence the other 50%, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, oh, definitely. But I, my two, I'm just turning my fire off. My two eldest children, there's, there's 21 months between them. My eldest was a boy and the, his sister was a girl. They, they reacted and responded completely yeah. differently to my parenting. Yeah. So if I was 100% responsible for the reactions, they would both do exactly the same thing. They didn't. At some point in their life, they made a decision on how they were going to be. My son is really challenging. He'll do something if he agrees with it, you know, but he will challenge decisions. He was in the military for, for eight years and he challenged things that he didn't agree with right from being so young. But you say that he decided he made that decision, but this is, I, I presume, I, I presume it's it's sort of an unconscious decision because you know, it, or is it? I mean, how well, how how can someone decide I am going to be a challenger, a rule breaker, a, 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 an in, or whatever you know, or a people pleaser? How how can we 
decide to be that sort of person? It starts really early on. It's quite psychological, but as as we're growing up, we absorb lots from our parents. We don't filter it. We, We don't question whether they've got it right or not. So we just absorb it fully. What we get validation for, we do more of. You know, and without being stereotypical, boys and girls get different responses and reactions to people. They so do, yeah. You know, that that man up, be strong, big boys don't cry, all that sort of stuff is what we generally feed to the male of the species. Whereas with girls, we treat them differently. So we validate different things in them. At that point, that child has a choice whether it accepts it or fights it. It's like there's a classic thing that I learned in, in in my training where a mother had two sons and she said, you are going to end up in a, a mental asylum. One was a doctor and one was an inpatient. They made decisions. They, do you know what I mean? So I don't know 100% how it works, but I know through validation and affirmation what I got praised for, what was said to me. I made certain decisions when I was growing up. So what is it then? Because, you know, is it is it um, going so far? Because one would have thought that if you're making these decisions, you're making these decisions, A, for survival or B, for a, dare I say it, a quiet life. So yeah. I can understand why, um, or maybe I can understand it because that is me. Here's the trigger, isn't it, you see? Well, I, there you go. <laughs> I, I can understand people sort of being um, people pleasers because that's the sort of anything for a quiet life. But what makes someone to have that decision for being a challenger and a rule breaker? This is such a question from someone who is just working out her own triggers live on a blimmin' broadcast. Because (laughs) seriously, I, I, I hate breaking rules, but I don't understand why someone would make the choice to break rules, because are they not just making a harder path for themselves perhaps ultimately yeah because you know there are laws that we have to abide by but challenging those rules you know in a child it's seen as not that good you know do as I say all of that sort of thing but if as a child you don't agree with it you're going to challenge it and then what happens when I challenge that decision do I get away with it or does the, the, the consequence come down harder so dependent on what happens we we're making decisions got you so so, yeah it's our it's our experiences from when we first did the challenging or the people pleasing or the whatever okay and that I think is why we recycle it all as a teenager because we've done it once but we need to test it out we need to you know is what I think happens is that right you know, I was born into a family. I've got an older sister. She's three years older than me. She was born with a disability, nothing major. You know, she's still with us and everything's fine. But I was always the okay kid. Yeah. So I, I was brought up to be independent and to sort myself out and to not cause problems and to do all of that stuff. Understandably, because my mum and dad had my disabled elder sister to deal with. Yeah. But I made certain decisions about that, that I couldn't get my needs met they weren't available to me because their time was taken somewhere else. Yeah. You know, that I can't blame that on my parents. That's a decision that I made at some point. Yeah, okay, got you. And as an adult, I still find it difficult to ask for help and support. 
Yes, because you have been you have sort of been molded, bought up, or whatever way as as uh, yes as as independent and just not making any demands on anyone. And I got recognition for taking care of myself. Do you know what I mean? So exactly. You know, well done for cooking your own tea because I can do X, Y, and Z while you're doing that. So not only did I make the decision, but it was validated again and again and again. Well, it's quite I, deep. I know. I feel like I've thrown so much stuff out there. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it because it, it actually helps us to start understanding that a, it's not our kids, um, being tricky. It's not them playing silly buggers. It's them sort of working out. Here's the scary thing: how they've been parented for the first twelve years of their life. And the other side of this that I do feel like I need to touch on, because I know when I was learning all of this, I was like, oh, my God, I've broken my children. Well, that's it. That's what I'm I just about to come up to. Wrong. I, I was just about to touch on the guilt. So how do we how do we get past that? One of the, the main things that I always say is that I did what I did because it was the best decision I could make at that time. Okay, Obviously, now with my grandson and, and my youngest, I, I'm in a different place. I've learned more stuff. So I do things differently. We can only do what we can do with what we've got available. Yeah. And and mummy guilt or parenting guilt is bad enough without us throwing some more stuff on there. I, if I, you knew a better way to do it, you would have done it. Uh, exactly. And I think that's the thing, isn't it, is why why um, when you speak to a grandparent, they just go, oh, my God, it's so much easier. It's so much. And everyone goes, oh, yes. So you could sort of throw them back at the end of the day. I don't think it's that at all, is it? It's just the it's being able to look at it with a sort of different, less exhausted and yeah. fresh pair of eyes with the wisdom that we have, you know, and the resources. This is very NLP, isn't it? It's, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, you know it, it's it's that map of the world that we have. And and, and as you say, we can only react within the with the knowledge and the resources that we yeah. have at the time. And I look at Alfie's my grandson, he's two and a half, and I look at him now through completely different eyes. I oh. analyze him. He's at that stage now where he doesn't compare and contrast. He doesn't worry about whether he makes a mistake. He he dislocated his elbow the other week on monkey bars on the park. And yes. we had to take him to A and E and have it put back in. He came running out of A&E, straight back to the park, straight. There was no guarding it or sheltering it or what if it happens again? What if I do that and it happens again? It's just not in his brain at the moment. But there comes a time where we start to get nervous and we start to say, what if? That's that's such a shame, isn't it? Yes. Yes, But we all do it. Yes. Exactly. And it's the, oh, and, and you can see any mother who, with a child with a dislo- having had a dislocated elbow, you know how she's going to be reacting the next time we, you hit the playground. And well, luckily, like, it happened when he was with his dad. So my daughter had no guilt whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> you see? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and so I think the thing is, as, and as you, this sort of takes us straight back to the middle of the road parenting, isn't it? Is that we, need to be kind to ourselves. We need to realise that shit happens. And okay, we got something wrong when they were four and a half and we bunged them into, I don't know, nursery because we either were exhausted or we were sort of, you know, trying to run a business. Or And, yeah. and I think the thing is, is that this is also, if we're sort of looking at how our kids are being shaped by their environment, what's your take on, because there are so many people 
that are talking how COVID, and this is just because, you know, we're, we're, we're at the time of recording, we're in sort of lockdown at the minute, how COVID is affecting families and will affect sort of the mental health of, of our young, you know, in the years to come. What yeah. do we do, Jackie, to, to so that they have the best possible possible life script? What do we do to support them here? Again, it, this the safety and structure and routines. I think that's really important. You know, my as I say, we go out for walks with my two and a half year old grandson. He sees somebody coming the other way and he cowers now. He moves away. You know, he's I haven't hugged him properly for such a long time now. I think there is going to be a generation of people coming up that human contact and connection is different to what it was for us. So, you know, it's normality as a family. It's putting routines in place. Kids need to feel safe, even in yep. an unsafe environment. And for me, that's what we can do, even with teenagers. Yes. My son's is just about, I think, I'm not timing it or anything, but at 10 past four tonight, he's out of his self-isolation from school. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that was when I got the email from school saying he needs to be self-isolated for two weeks. We're, we're up, everything's fine, but he's out of that now. But for teenagers, that sense of belonging is massive. I, and and that's what makes me. To do that now. Yeah. And so it's it's how we do. What do we do? Do we adapt to that, or do we acknowledge that it's sort of something that's a little bit later in developing, further down the line? I think we have to acknowledge the difficulties that our children are going through now. It's unprecedented. We didn't go through this. Yeah, but they are going to have highs and lows of emotions, which is perfectly normal. Yeah, you know, and it's not personal. We need to support them and just listen to what they're saying. I know the rules are in place and we have to be in lockdown and we have to do this, but that doesn't mean that we can't validate their feelings of frustration and anger and everything about what's yeah. going on. You know, don't try and fix it. Yes, Just let them feel whatever it is that they're feeling right now. That's okay. Yeah, because we're going through our, excuse me, but our own shit storm anyway. 100%, yeah, of course yeah. we are. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, oh you know, God. it's about being kind and compassionate with yourself above all else. There's a reason why we have to put our own oxygen mask on if an aeroplane's coming down. I apologise yeah. if anybody has a fear, but we need to be OK in order to support our children through this. Well, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, it's being in the right headspace ourselves and having yeah. the right, um, you know, the, the right emotional energy to support them and look after them. And pick your battles, yeah. That's the other. We don't need to jump on anything and everything that's going on with our children. Yeah. You know, if we're not in a good place, pick your battles. And the other thing, I know my son's bedtime is at the same time every night. He always becomes a philosopher at 10 o'clock at night <laughs> and wants to discuss the things that are going on in the world and everything. Sometimes that doesn't bother me. Yeah. Other times it does. <laughs> That's yeah, nothing yeah. to do with him and everything to do with where my headspace is. Yes, you're quite right. So that's what I mean by we're 50% responsible for how the conversation goes. His behaviour hasn't changed at all. It's my thoughts about he's taking the mic, he should be in bed, blah, blah, blah. 
that's what causes the difference. It, it, it is. And, and it, that's the funny thing is that one time it's acceptable and another time it's not. Yes. So, it, yes, I think that that's where the navel gazing comes in, isn't it? And we Definitely. sort of suddenly realise, oh, OK, yes, yeah. I, I, I need to. <laughs> yes. I need to address this, not my darling son or my darling daughter. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, well, yeah, exactly that. And and cheers to middle of the road parenting. I think it's an absolutely. 100%. I think it's a brilliant, a brilliant way of looking at it. Um, that it's it's okay not to be perfect. It's it's just yeah. Give ourselves a break. Yeah, definitely. Jackie, my love, thank you. You have given us. A shed load to think about. <laughs> Not um, too much, I hope. No, no, hugely interesting. It, it's given me personally a lot to think about, and um, I'm sure many listeners as well. Um, there, there are sort of there's there's handouts in the in the show notes for anyone that wants to sort of read a little bit more. So I thank you for that as well. Um, and and there are sort of ways of getting in contact with you. But yeah. that for me was just gold. So thank you so much for sharing it all with us. Thank you. All right then. Thank I you hope so you'll join me on mine. Oh gosh, just let's let's sign up. Give give me give me the. We need we need to sort out, and I'll get you back on my side, and you can absolutely. tell me all your stuff. <laughs> absolutely, that sounds absolutely brilliant. I look forward to it. Brilliant. Take care. All right then. Thanks so much. Actually, more to the point, what's the name of your podcast? My podcast, Living Life Being Human. There you are. So for, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. So Jackie, thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this entire podcast. If you want to help other parents looking for support, then please share this with your friends and family. Because if you find this podcast useful, then they will too. So please share via your social media. If you have any parenting questions, then please give me a shout through my email, which is toolbox at kygraham.com. And I may even use your question as a future podcast episode. If you want to connect, please come and join me on Instagram. Just search for Kai Graham. Also, could you do me a favour, please? Parenting teenagers can feel very confusing and isolating at times. And I believe that it takes a village to raise a child. And we are here to support one another. I'd love it if you would leave a review on iTunes. And a good one, by the way. (laughs) Because when you do, it lets more parents out there know that there is support for them too. Thank you. And as always, this comes with much love.